What's the point? Leo Tolstoy, probably most famous for what some people believe to be the world's greatest novel, War and Peace, also wrote a little-known book called simply A Confession. In it, he chronicles his quest to find the meaning and purpose of life. Uh, While studying at university, he turned his back on academia. He had turned his back on Christianity as a child. And he went off to seek pleasure. He drank large amounts of alcohol. He had multiple sexual partners and a gambling addiction. His ambition in life was to become wealthy and famous. But nothing satisfied him. He eventually married a loving wife and fathered 13 children. He was surrounded by what appeared to be complete happiness. Yet one question haunted him to the verge of suicide. Is there any meaning in my life which will not be annihilated by the inevitability of death which awaits me? He said. From the last album, Innuendo, that he recorded with the legend rock band Queen, Just prior to his death from AIDS, that AIDS epidemic that we've heard about tonight, in 1991, Freddie Mercury wrote a song entitled, The Show Must Go On. The lyrics, very telling, he says, empty spaces, what are we living for? Abandoned places, I guess we know the score, on and on. Does anyone know what we're here for? Another hero, another mindless crime, behind the curtain in the pantomime. Hold the line, does anyone want to take any more? The show must go on, the show must go on. Inside my heart is breaking. My makeup may be flaking, but my smile still stays on. Whatever happens, I'll leave it all to chance. Another heartache, another failed romance, on and on. Does anyone know what we're living for? Both Tolstoy and Freddie Mercury are asking the same question that I've been asked to address here tonight. What's the point? We could ask that question about all manner of specific things, but I think it can be asked of life in general. The writer, uh, in our reading that we're going to look at in God's Word in the Bible tonight, asks himself the same question about 3,000 plus years ago. In his quest to find a satisfactory answer, he denied himself no pleasure available to him, He was by far the wealthiest man on the planet, and his superior intellect, his wisdom, and his power and influence singled him out as a leader of leaders that drew the admiration of his own subjects and that of people from all other nations. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon basically asks, how can anyone discover the meaning of life? So let's take a look at what he discovers. I'm just checking to see if I've got the page number. It's page number 668 in the Pew Bible, if you wish to follow through with me. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1 through 18. Page 668 in your church Bibles. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem... Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. It hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place the streams come from. 
there they return again. All things are wearisome. What more can one say? The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What will be will be again. What has been will be again. And what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, here is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done in heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that that, this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. This is the word of God. And following the introduction to what is basically a very learned thesis in which he writes up his extensive research findings on the meaning of life, he then goes on chapter after chapter in quite an extensive list of everything that people believe will bring them happiness and simultaneously debunks that notion in regard to every one of them. So pleasure, meaningless. Wisdom, meaningless. Fun, meaningless. Insanity, even that's meaningless. Hard work, meaningless. Bettering oneself, meaningless. Wealth, meaningless. Even life itself, meaningless. And we're only up to chapter 7 with still 5 to go in this thesis. Now at some point, every one of us will have to answer this question. Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? In our reading, we can identify at least five things that result from not knowing the answer to that question. Not knowing the point, not knowing the answer to the meaning of life causes us to believe certain things. We can believe that it's hopeless. Listen to the words of a deeply depressed person heard during a counseling session. What's the point of living if we're going to die anyway? Why would you want to get out of bed in the morning if it has no meaning or purpose? What's the use? And yet, you know, there are countless thousands of very clever people, very influential people in the world today that want to tell you and me just that, that life has no purpose. Your life, my life, it has no purpose because the talk of purpose presupposes something or someone greater than us in the universe who is responsible for us being here. And to paraphrase the words of a recent bus ad campaign, that probably isn't the case. So it's hopeless. It's also wearisome. You see, if life has no purpose, what's the point? 
What is the point? You work hard. You do your best so that in the end of the day you can sit back and relax. And the stock market crashes. Or the thieves break in. Or you get one of the dreaded diseases. It's wearisome. If life has no meaning, or at least if you don't understand the meaning of life, then it seems like a perpetual treadmill, one seemingly endless routine that just as you thought you'd achieve something worthwhile, you've got to go through the whole process again and again and again. And all of us feel like that from time to time. Even preachers, a, a, a well-kept secret among preachers is that we know that Jesus is coming back one day, We hope it will be late on a Sunday evening or early Monday morning so we don't have to go through the whole process of studying for next Sunday's sermon again. Life can be wearisome. If you don't know the meaning of life, it can also appear to be fruitless. Many people acknowledge when really pressed, sometimes we don't ask these questions because we all like to wear the comfortable mask. But I think that most of you, if you're not a Christian, if pressed, would say that you're completely dissatisfied with life. Maybe even as a Christian, completely dissatisfied with life. You see, no matter much how, you see, how much you see, you're never satisfied. No matter how much you have, you're never contented. I'm bored. I'm bored with work. I'm bored with the wife. I'm bored with the husband. I'm bored with the kids. I'm bored with church. <laughs> bored with this sermon already. It's fruitless. What's the point? If you don't know the meaning of life, it can also seem very unimportant. Again, just listening to the, in counsel to the, the voices that have spoken of that place of utter despair and hopelessness, at the brink of suicide. Well, what difference would it make if I took my life? Because I'm not important. In the whole scheme of things, I belong to a very insignificant family, an insignificant people group that nobody really cares about. In the whole scheme of things, where am I in the whole of humanity? Very tragically, recently we read of a a lady who was found, um, or at least the remains of a lady who was found in her flat here in Edinburgh. Uh, We think that she's been dead for about five years. Right in the heart of a cosmopolitan, very busy city, surrounded by neighbors, nobody missed her. Unimportant, if you don't know the meaning of life. History has recorded the names of a small minority of people, but even they in the main are completely unknown by the majority of people. If you're really, really lucky, if I can use that word, you may matter enough to be a statistic, but not for long. But not for long. The remains of about ten or a dozen people were found um, during the tram work excavations in Leith. They weren't the workers. Um, We believe them to be 16th century remains. Does anyone know who they are? Not a clue. Not a clue. Unimportant. 
Well, you may do things that you will be remembered by. Some of you may have new discoveries in medical research named after you. Some may give your name to a building or a city or a street. Uh, we may have our name carved on a communion table or a park bench. But you know, at the end of the day, who cares? Not many, if any. If you don't know the point of life, you can feel very unimportant. If you don't know the point of life, life itself can feel like it's out of control, like it's uncontrollable. Have you ever felt that there are some situations that are just beyond your control? No? Well, then you must be God. <laughs> or at least think you are. You know, some things in this world just get so broke. My wife was here, she said, Rodney, the word's broken. But you know what I mean. Things just get so broken that they cannot be fixed. They cannot be fixed. Or at least that's true from the perspective that Solomon is viewing it. Did you catch that little repetitive phrase? It just occurred twice in our reading. But it happens again and again throughout the chapters. Under the sun. One writer comments, time after time Solomon mentions his horizontal, strictly human viewpoint. In every major section of his journal, he uses the words under the sun or under heaven because he seldom looks above the sun. Life seems drab and depressing, hopelessly meaningless. Because he left God out of the picture, nothing satisfied. He goes on to say, satisfaction in life under the sun will never happen until we have a meaningful relationship with the Lord above the sun. So what's the point? If you don't know what it is, you'll believe certain things. If you don't know what it is, then you'll behave in certain ways. Not knowing the point of life causes us to behave in certain ways. We've heard in testimony tonight some of the ways in which people behave. You see, if you don't know the meaning of life, you've got some options here. Well, you can make it up. One of my teachers in primary school thought that it was more important to put down an answer, even if it was wrong, rather than leave the paper blank. I think that approach is significantly to blame for the rainforest diminishing during my generation. But you know, I know a lot of people not understanding the meaning of life, just make it up. We fill our craving for life's meaning with all sorts of stuff, from extreme expressions and experience of religion and faith right through to humanism. Three of the world's greatest humanist thinkers, Marx, Freud, and Darwin, all basically concluded the same thing in regards to life's meaning. You came from nothing, you're going to nothing. We all came from this primal ooze, and you're just an evolutionary blob. You weren't created, you're a cosmic accident. The Christian novelist, Frank Peretti simplifies this theory of evolution as from goo to you by way of the zoo. <laughs> but yet, give them their due, the humanist thinker concludes that there is a point to life. They say you came from nowhere and you're going to nowhere. But while you're here on life, you, while you're here on earth, your life has meaning and value and dignity. Do you know what, folks? It just occurred to me this last week that that's the greatest delusion of all. That's the real delusion. Anybody want to write a book about it? The humanist delusion? 
Because that just doesn't make sense. Think about it logically for a moment, because it takes courage if your chosen belief system is is humanism, then admit that your life doesn't matter, because it can't matter if there is no God, if there is no eternity, if there is no day of reckoning. It doesn't matter how you live, since you or no one else matters. And far from making you feel good about life, it's actually incredibly depressing. A young man who hit the charts, um, the pop charts, just a year or so ago, a young man called Sam Sparrow. Uh, Sam, um, he's from an evangelical Christian background. His father is a preacher in Australia. Um, Again, like some of the testimony that we've heard, like some of the testimony that some of us know is our experience, has turned his back on Christianity. He's now living in the States producing... um, certainly in my opinion, some very good music. Um, He's openly gay. He's a practicing homosexual. His father's still an evangelical preacher. And uh, he had a hit record just a year or so back. Let's put up the words there, Steve, just so we look at this. If the fish swam out of the ocean and grew legs and they started talking, and the apes climbed down from the trees and grew tall and they started talking, The stars fell out of the sky and my tears rolled into the ocean. Now I'm looking for a reason why you even set my world into motion. Because if you're not really here, then the stars don't even matter. I'm filled to the top with fear because it's all just a bunch of matter. Because if you're not really here, then I don't want to be either. I want to be next to you. And then there's a little refrain that says, black and gold, black and gold, black and gold. So Sparrow is looking out into the darkened sky. And he looks up and he sees the little glimmers of the stars. And elsewhere in Ecclesiastes, the writer says, God has set eternity in the heart of every man. And this man who currently still is turning his back on Christianity and his God-fearing upbringing, looks up to the sky and goes, do you know what? Do you know what? There must be a God. There must be a reason why we're here. This cannot just be, as I'm being told, a cosmic accident for which there is no reason. But if you can't make something up like the evolutionists do, then you can try to cop out of it. You see, whatever it takes, waste yourself on a diet of drink and drugs and food and entertainment and leisure. But whatever you do, don't face up to reality. And of course, the ultimate cop-out is suicide. The whole debate around euthanasia in our society is a cop-out. We're not doing it for reasons of dignity. We're not arguing it for reasons of helping people. We're doing it because we don't believe in accountability to God in eternity. It's a humanist argument. And the Christian church cannot, must not, ever have anything to do with owning the argument that it is right to take human life at whatever stage, in utero or in the nursing home. Never. Because it's against the principles of life that God has set out in creation. So if you don't know the meaning of life, the ultimate thing is despair. What am I doing? Life is useless, it's pointless, it's repetitive, it's unfulfilled, and it's insignificant. And if you can't make it up or cob out of it, well, let me give you a third option. You can learn about it. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul says, For God chose us in Christ, get that word, chose us, 
not an accident, not by chance, chosen. Chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. Not for fun. Not for pleasure. Not because God wanted a, a creation to trifle with. But in love. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. So what's the point of life? What was God's purpose in creating all the world? You were created. That's right. You were created as an object of God's love. God made you just to love you. Leo Tolstoy, Freddie Mercury and Sam Sparrow each ask the same question that many of us may be asking here tonight. What's the point? Well, we cannot be sure about the two singers. But Leo Tolstoy finally found a satisfactory answer by accepting the biblical truth about God, the origin of man, its explanation about sin and suffering, and he trusted Jesus to be his savior. Nicky Gummel, in The Questions of Life, explains what triggers Tolstoy's conversion. He says he searched for an answer in every field of science and philosophy. As he looked around at his contemporaries, he saw that people were not facing up to the first order questions in life. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who am I? What is this life all about? Eventually, he found that the peasant people of Russia had been able to answer these questions through their Christian faith. And he came to realize that only in Jesus Christ do we find the answer. King Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he also reaches a conclusion towards the end of his thesis. In chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, he says this, After having heard it all, this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commands, because this applies to everyone. God will certainly judge everything that is done. This includes every secret thing, whether it is good or bad. What's the point? Well, the point is this. You are created in the image of God. You are the pinnacle of all that he created so he can have a relationship with you. The only problem is that your free will is inherently infected by a serious and complex condition the Bible simply calls sin. The result of sin is death and eternal separation from God who created you. The solution is to accept that Jesus has already died the death you deserve and can give you the life by the Holy Spirit to reunite you to God in this present life and the one which is to come. So as I close, can I tell you that if you want to find out more about this life, there are people available here tonight to chat to you about it. On the stairwells with the stewards as you leave, we have a little booklet called Journey into Life. Becoming a Christian isn't about simply making a decision and then forgetting about it. Becoming a Christian is a journey. It's a journey of faith that can begin tonight and last on, but it's a journey, not an event. We also have a course of study called Christianity Explored uh, that starts in just over a month's time if you want to explore this more fully and systematically. So what's the point? You need to answer that question for yourself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that uh, is useful for correcting us, for rebuking us, for encouraging us, and for training us. And so even as we look at this 
learned thesis tonight where the writer, when his eyes are off God, concludes that life has no meaning. We thank you that eventually he takes us to that place where he realizes that he, like us, are accountable to the author of salvation, the creator of the universe. So help us, Lord, turn to you, to turn away from whatever it is that would hinder us having that relationship. Help us not to believe that life is pointless and to live as those who have no hope, but to realize that the point is that we're called into relationship with God through Jesus and that we might find him and find life in him. We ask it in his name. Amen.